I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Abby. She had an addiction to cocaine. Let's talk about it. So I'm going to go home, but he's still, he's still alive. He's still you know, doing the same. Um, Maybe it's the miracle sick boy. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. But, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll probably do what that. What if we branded ourselves as, as, like, as, as the, the cure, cure to cancer? As the cure to cancer. <laughs> the single cure to all cancer. We start like performing in churches and we start hitting people start, with Bibles all the time. Yeah. Wait, do you hit them with the Bible? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you smoke And you will be healed! And the power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The power. The power yeah. of Christ compels you I'm to like, laugh at dick jokes <laughs> until your cancer goes away. Oh. Uh, okay, well, I think that... I think that's a good segue. <laughs> that's a great place to start. <laughs> yeah. uh, hi, Abby. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Good. Uh, you are here today... To talk to us about something that we've actually had uh, uh, quite a, a lot of people ask us about um, addiction. We now we've done we've done a couple of episodes that kind of talked about addiction, but we never really honed in on it uh, on its own. And so I'm I'm kind of excited for this, and I think a lot of people who are listening are, are probably pretty excited as well. So cool. <laughs> excited about your addiction problem. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Why don't you Why don't you tell us? Um, I don't know. How do you start with addiction? Like, what were you addicted to? What's your? Oh my God! What was I addicted vice? to? <laughs> Man, um, I thought your I thought like your what you what you wrote into us was a really like I felt like I was going through a story. I felt like that was a, a good story um, mm-hmm. layout. Um, Thank and, you. And I'm sure that there's I'm sure that there's an ocean in between those words of, uh, of experiences and things that happen. So yeah, I probably wrote it pretty matter of factly. I feel it was very (laughs) blunt. Yeah, Yeah. it was very blunt. Um, so let's go back then. Let's go back to, I mean, I'm looking at right now and, um, let's go back to when you were young, a young, uh, a young gal, young sprout, a young little sprout. How old are you now? (laughs) I'm 29, 29. Yeah. And, uh, you, when was the first time you ever, uh, dabbled in, in a substance that could become addicted to, or that's um, typically addictive. Is that proper? Probably not. Knowing me, sometimes Jeremy speaks the way he writes, <laughs> or does he write listen, the way that he speaks? Listen, ooh, I don't know. That's a, that's it's, meta. It's both, and I'll have you know that. A couple of my have, you know have words. gone viral. So. <laughs> Everyone overlooks the grammar when the emotions run high. Yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, so, Abby, uh, yeah, what, what, uh, 
Tell us about Abby at 13. Oh, my God. Um, I, my parents had shipped me off to BC with them. My parents were, my dad was in the military, and I was starting to hang out. I was just starting to dabble in a little bit of weed and smoking cigarettes and drinking, and I had started hanging out with an older crowd that was doing ecstasy and cocaine, and my parents were like, well, you're 14, so we're going to move back to Nova Scotia. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, oh, they were just like, yeah. you just, uh, so how does that work? How do you go from, thir- how do you go from 14 to just being like, yo, let's let's drop some e. I've always been like really open with my parents. I've told my parents literally. I told my parents the first time I had sex. I came home and was like, guess what I did? <laughs> I'm so excited. So I literally tell them everything. Uh, that's really that is really it's funny a big because thing. I definitely didn't do no. that. <laughs> yeah. I got in so much trouble. My mom made my boyfriend come over and sit down, and she oh, grilled him. <laughs> my god! Oh god! Now and then okay, made me leave the room. It's so like an like, American pie show. She made you leave. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Hey, what's worse? What's worse than that? Uh, that or being walked in on by your parents? And oh my god! Ooh. I think d- being walked in on it would yeah. easily be worse. My dad, my dad walked be. in on me. Dude, Cobb's a smart guy. What's he doing walking in? <laughs> Dude, never. They never knew how to knock. He, li- it's, it was awful. Uh, Ex girlfriend of mine was. We were fooling around, and she was under the sheets, and he just goes, "Oh, hey, uh." uh Jeremy? <laughs> no, no. He, he said he was like, that, "Hey, we'll say, girl's we'll, name." Well, yeah, we'll say her name was Kelly. He goes, oh, oh he, hey, hey, Kelly, you're not staying for dinner. Oh, oh. he knew. Uh, he knew that she was in your room, and yeah. he didn't knock. Hey, oh, okay, fucking knew. Oh, dude. I know, Cobb. You listen to this? I know because I know you are. <laughs> step up, step Remember it up. That? And then, and then, hold on. This is a fucking sidetrack. But and then, and then I was like, uh, "Well, uh, Kelly, I'm going to go upstairs and uh, just deal with this for a moment." And I walked upstairs, and my dad goes. I swear to fucking God, if you get her pregnant in this house. <laughs> Your dad is so stereotypical. <laughs> and then he said, right after that, he said, so is she going to stay for dinner or what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you were hanging out with a bad crowd. Yeah. Um, and then when I came back to Nova Scotia, I ended up being the bad kid. I, I actually, I have funny... Twenty. Okay, quick fun. What those? Those were like what? Uh, what did you just <laughs> say? Brian, Brian just had a seizure. The, the episode just switched from addiction to seizures. Brian, how you doing? Uh, uh, oh, Don't make that noise yeah. either. Uh, I remember feeling. I remember feeling like that. That cigarettes were so bad. I remember this. Um, this time when I was in. I was in like grade nine. So I was like. Maybe 12, 13 years old. You've told this story on the podcast before. Did I tell it on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah, oh, the anyway, cigarette we, left in your pocket. Okay, we can cut it out then if I did. But <laughs> tell but us I, about anyway. Tell us about your okay. So in when you wrote into us, you you wrote about how you were never really informed and maybe not purposely not informed, but just it just never came up that you could get addicted or kind of fall down a rabbit hole of, of things if you try Definitely. this one thing. What's that? Well, I Definitely. think also more specific than that was that addiction runs in your family and you were right. never really it made does, aware of that. But it's only about, I feel like it's a 50-50 shot. I feel like everybody probably has some sort of addiction in their family. There's probably somebody, some uncle, some aunt, somebody that's addicted to something. Totally. Um, but I, I do have a history of it. My grandfather was an alcoholic. His, his father was an alcoholic. <clears throat> Both my uncles are alcoholics. They're both addicted to drugs. Um, so it was only a matter of time, I feel like. Um, but it was funny, though, because 
my mom always taught me, as long as you don't snort or inject anything, if you smoke it, it's fine. If you drink it, it's fine. It's not a big deal. She taught you that at what yeah, age? Probably about 14 Five. when I first oh, came sorry. home. <laughs> no. Man, that's a, that's a, you know. She, she taught me that when she was reading me Dr. Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a, you know, obviously there's some exceptions to that rule, but that's a pretty good rule of thumb. It, it was pretty good to teach a teenager, but it also um, stopped me from developing any coping skills. Um, you know. It was, I talked to counselors later on in life and they're like, well, because you started smoking pot and drinking at such a young age, that's essentially when you stunted your growth. Your maturity stopped then because every time something bad happened, I would turn to weed. I'd turn to drinking. Like your, your mental maturity, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. My coping skills were, were poor as an adult, like very, very poor. Right. So whereas, you know, you start smoking uh, cigarettes or smoking weed or, or, or drinking, I mean, this, that can happen later in life, but you wait later in life and you're more likely to develop the skills to deal with things in your teens and in your early twenties rather than in your, you know, early teens starting to, to just just turn to that whenever you have an issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you you come back to Nova Scotia and you are now the you are the bad kid. Yeah, I'm the one that like got all my friends into smoking weed and partying a little bit more than they should have and I wasn't really a bad kid. I got good grades and you know, I ba- obeyed my parents to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um but I didn't have any coping skills. So like as a teenager when you feel like the world is crushing in on you, it's important to learn how to get through that on your own terms, but I always relied on the substance. Mm-hmm. So anytime, you know, I attempted suicide when I was 13, you know, after I started smoking pot, cause I didn't know how to deal with emotions. Right. So when, how did you, how did you try, what was your attempt? Um, I was, uh, so it's interesting in, in BC grade seven is still considered elementary school. So I'm in elementary school. My brother's in the same school as me and I'm being made fun of for an, ridiculous things, things that doesn't even matter anymore, but I just felt like I couldn't handle it. So I tied my shirts together and tried to make a rope and tried to hang myself in the bathroom. Wow. Yeah. And then some friends found me and they went and told teachers and the teachers were like, okay, well, it sounds like you need to go home. Why don't you take your, you know, eight year old brother and go home for the day? Whoa. Yeah. This was at school. school. Yeah. So rather than like calling my parents or, you know, the police or maybe doctors or something, uh, they sent me home with my brother and, and. As I was walking home, I was going to... And your brother's like, oh, I want to stay. no idea. What the fuck? I, want, no I, I still got class. Yeah. Did they just... But did they Did they think you were just look, like crying for help or... I think they just didn't know how to deal with it. It was probably around, you know, back when nobody really knew about like, like mental 90s. health. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So fuck. probably about... Actually, it was probably about 2000. Um, yeah. And it was just That's really... that long ago, though. No, you know what I mean? Like that seems still, fucking bananas that administration of a school would like handle something like that. But there's probably, there's still schools that would do that nowadays too. Like I think, I think there's less and it's less likely, but I'm sure that there's still people who struggle to, Dude, to handle that and know what to do in situations like that. Doing that. My and parents were pissed. So I be, fucking I, imagine they would be. I yeah. think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised at like how not, and I'm not saying that all of them do, and I and I don't think that all of them do. I'm sure it's a small percentage, <laughs> but I'm sure there are schools out there that would still not know how to handle that. I feel like a lot of people just don't Man. know how to deal with things. So they're like, oh, I'll let the parents deal with it. Yeah, you know, but they didn't That's even really. No, to a, to a degree, to an extent. Yeah. So did your parents not know? Did they not find out? No, they, they, they told found out. They found out from a voicemail that they left them after I had already been home for hours and contemplated taking these Holy pills Jesus. in my mom's medicine cabinet. But the only reason I didn't is because I all I could picture is my brother 
walking in and finding my dead body. And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. It's crazy how like, you're like, you are made out to be the bad person in that situation because like you're, you are, you're the victim in that situation. Yet the school sends you home. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's like you're getting punished for being the And victim. I was forced to see a ther- a psychiatrist at the police station. And I remember immediately hating his guts and just not just refusing to cooperate. So any help that anybody tried to give me, I wasn't open to it. And so because we just left it, it was like it was an awkward thing to talk about. So we didn't talk about it anymore. It was like those coping skills, again, just didn't happen. Yeah. So uh, so this is in grade seven, still mm-hmm. while you're out in BC. Yeah. And that's when you're 13 years old. And then you move back to uh, to Nova Scotia at what at what age do you come back? Uh, 15 or so. I was just about just before my 16th birthday. Sweet. And, and you're and you're starting to party with your friends and getting them into smoking weed and stuff. And, yeah. Um, and the, so that's, I guess, junior high, like kind of moving into high school. What's the, are you in the process school? of falling asleep right now? <laughs> Dude, can, can you get any lazier with your speech? Do I sound lazy? Holy I was fucking shit, Taylor. I was thinking the exact same like, thing. Uh, so. <laughs> Do I really? You go, oh uh, yeah. Am I? Oh yeah. And, uh, my party. So, uh, <laughs> So like when 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 does the story Jesus get exciting? Like, I'm just trying to bring us up. I'm trying to. Oh, so I didn't really know. So you I'm mumbly right. motherfucker. So okay, I'll, I'll get I'll get more clear. Sad dude. Sad dude. So uh, so yeah. Um, so it's oh fuck now I can't now I, now I don't have my train of thought anymore. I was really I was going I was I was moving along. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I was at, 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 at a fucking pace. <laughs> Let me tell you that I was moving along. So you. Um, Back in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. you're getting into high school, and what's what's high school? What's high school like? High school is pretty normal. I feel like every other kid, you know, I dabbled in a little bit of this. Nothing, nothing yeah. really major. It was pretty good throughout high school, but I had a really solid, responsible boyfriend. Oh, okay, so he, I, was he basically keeping you yeah, kind of in check, like keep me under wraps? For oh yeah, sure. definitely. Because as soon as we broke <laughs> up, that's when. I was supposed to move to Japan after high school and be an au pair for friends. And instead I went to Calgary and partied my ass off for two months and blew all my savings and fucked a bunch of guys and just did a bunch of drugs. And yeah. just basically that was like the starting point of like a, of the explosion. And I what guess. kind of drugs are we talking like? Like, like I, I, I guess what I'm like curious about it. Okay. So E like, yeah. e, like that was what you, you know, yeah, you always hear, you know, this like the, the whole like with the whole war on drugs thing. They were like, like marijuana is a is gateway. a gateway, gateway drug. drug. It's a gateway drug, and like I'm sure there's some fact to that. That like, yes, if you have addictive person, like addictive tendencies, and you're smoking pot, and you're like, oh, the, what's like, what's the next high? Like, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's more like. You know, if you if you go if if you go, well, I started smoking weed and hanging out with an older crowd that wasn't the best, and you know, me and Brian are like, oh well, me and Brian started hanging out and smoking weed, and we just talked about life and just. Smoking I mean, weed. like, you yeah, know, I feel like it, your environment's also your the environment gateway as well, right? Yeah. So, I think your environment's more the gateway. Yeah, I, I personally Definitely. think the biggest gateway drug is alcohol because, like, alcohol impairs your oh judgment, like. That's on yeah. such a high level sometimes that you'll do things that you you never thought that you would like. I've I've taken ecstasy like twice in my entire life, and both times I was extremely drunk. And and both of those times, this is like maybe five or six years ago. Both of those times, I never would have considered taking it sober. 
but I'm drunk. I'm at a bar. I'm having a great yeah. time. And somebody walks up to you and goes, take this. And you're like, okay. All right. <laughs> and then just put it in your mouth. And all of a sudden, like, I'm, I, I don't even know what it feels like because I was so drunk when right. I did it, right? Yeah, I couldn't even really smoke weed, technically. Like, I wasn't supposed to. And I did a bit. But, like, I'm not. It fucks my lungs up. So, but I've done, I've done a fair amount of ecstasy. And I've done... I've done things, all right. Yeah. Like I've done things, but also I, I'm, I'm not. Cool I'm not. I'm not. I'm, the, cool I'm not too. the type of person that's like that feels the need to be like, okay, well, then what's what's crazier than this, and like what's going to take me to that next step? I anyway. don't really feel like that was my situation. I feel like you know, to some extent, I'm, I was always searching for like a better high for sure, but. Cocaine never really stood out in my mind that like, oh, I can't wait to try that. I can't wait to see what it feels like. It right. took a lot of coercion from my friend. And, and to be honest, I hate putting the blame on other people because I know it's it's all ultimately it comes down to myself. But I had this one friend that was that was really into it. And she hung out with some really prominent, successful businessmen around Halifax. And I was about 21 the first time I tried it. But they it took all night. You know, I'd done a bunch of E. We had drank in and... Uh, it was like early in the morning. They were like, just do it. Just do it. And I'm like, no, no. I kept thinking about my mom. You know, don't snort anything. Don't inject anything. And like, just do it. And I'm like, all right, all right. I'll do one line. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, it was one of the best nights of my life. Mm. Like, it was amazing. I just felt like I was on top of the world. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it was always, every time I go out and do something, we would always do it. Yeah. No. So it became a habit. Yeah. And you're trying to, in a, are you trying to, in a sense, like recreate recreate that feeling again yeah. in some way. I mean, I remember we, we had a, we had a, a guest on the podcast who, um, was a heroin addict and you know, the, the same thing that he, that were, that you said, that he said that you said was, yo, it was the best. Mm-hmm. Like there's no fucking doubt. It was, it was, yeah, it was the best. And I'm not, like, well, there's a reason people get addicted to it. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So when I had the fentanyl shot, when I was, when I broke my collarbone, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> like I saw God, you know, yeah. like I was, yeah. I was God. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean like outside and obviously there's Makes a whole sense. bunch of shit that surrounds the peripheral of, mm-hmm. of, of outside of doing it and being in that experience. But that experience from what, everything that I've heard books, personal experiences of, of people mm-hmm. talking to me is like, it's the, it's the best. It's yeah. the best. Now, so, you know, you were a partier. You went out to Calgary. You, like, threw down hard out there. You came back to Halifax. You were 21. You were, you started getting into blow. Um, like, when, at what point were you, at what point, either then or in retrospect, was it like, whoa, shit's getting really hairy. Like, this is getting really out of, out of hand. Um, I knew, I knew you guys were going to ask this uh, and I taught, I, I, I t- thought it over with myself of how I was going to say this and, and just it, come right up on the mic too, just to, um, yeah, there you go. Sweet. It was probably, okay. So I had a couple friends that had said, you know, Allie, you have a problem, you know, you can't make it to your job on time. You know, you're, you, all you care about is blow. And, and I never really, I just thought, okay, well, I just need to stop. Like, that's it. Just need to stop. But it, it, ne- I never could. Mm. It was like, if anybody asked, I could never say no. And it started to become every day. You every, were doing it daily. Every day. I would probably do at least an eight ball a day. Holy smokes. Yeah. How, much, I, how much is that? About it's $180. A day? It's like three grams, right? Yeah, it's three and a half grams. <clears throat> well, so, but like, and obviously at this time you're like, 
you can't stop. Like no, you're addicted I physically to it. couldn't. And are you doing it like when you wake up in the morning? As soon as I wake up, um, I couldn't hold a job. I lost all my jobs. I couldn't hold an apartment. Um, I was getting really behind on bills. My mom let me come work with her. I was doing key bumps in the bathroom. Oh man. I was working the front desk doing key bumps. Whoa. Like, yeah, it Jesus. was bad. Did that, like, it was bad. I, I see. I, I always hear that. Like when people are on Coke that they're like super fast paced, but they're also like, like productive. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, it's not. So it's, is it? Is it like that? Absolutely. You, like, you can't necessarily tell if someone's on Coke. Like, no, not especially everyone. if you not don't everyone. do it. You have yeah. no idea. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but there's like, there is definitely telltale signs if you know, if you know what to look for. But like, yeah. you, it's one of those things that you could do and keep under wraps for yeah, sure. Easily. Not many, not I'm, any of my friends knew. None I'm of guessing my family. your mom had no idea. No, of course yeah. she didn't know. She thought I was pregnant because I was acting funny. Sure. Of yes. course, everybody thinks women are pregnant. <laughs> You're wacky, acting weird. Wacky Abby. Yeah. She must be pregnant. <laughs> then then was it was it like the 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 financial side of it that was most impact? No, it was my point? life was falling apart. Like literally. Um, so the first time that I ever hit rock bottom, because I feel like everybody has like a couple of rock bottoms, but the first time that it ever happened, um, I'd spend the weekend partying. Um, I got beat up by this guy all night in hopes that, you know, he would give me more Coke. And I thought that I loved him, which was ridiculous. But basically I got the shit kicked out of me and I did Coke for, you know, four days straight and I had to go to work Monday morning. And so I was, I was pretty much a wreck that day. And my mom had asked me to go out and buy something from Staples. And I remember driving and I was like, I, I don't have any, and I'm physically dying right now. Like I, my body's shaking, I'm sweating. I just remember feeling sick to my stomach. I'm like, how am I going to get more? And I was like, this is it. Like I, I just broke down and bawled and I looked up on my phone. I had a Blackberry Pearl at the time. I Googled, um, addictions, capital health. And I found an intake number and, and I called and made the, made the <coughs> phone call, did an intake over the phone with the lady. She asked me a little couple, couple of questions and, you know, why, why are you calling and da 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 She seemed pretty understanding, but she was like, to be honest, you know, you're probably not going to get any help for the next six months. And so I hung Whoa, up the phone yeah. thinking, well, fuck, like I'm going to move to Toronto and be a stripper because I can't afford my habit anymore. Like literally. So, so you were, you, you were just blowing through money like crazy. Oh yeah. Well I was, and I was also doing <laughs> sketchy things on the side. Like I would, I'd started, um, a friend of mine had got me into meeting up with people, really rich people that would pay me to hang out with them and for whatever reason. So I was getting paid about five grand a night and Literally, I don't have any money left from that. I didn't even buy anything. I bought a, I bought a shitty thousand dollar Mazda protege, and I probably made about fifty grand during that stint. And everything went to drugs. Holy fuck! Yeah, wow, everything. Fuck. So you you have this like crazy drug habit, and you're blowing through money. How, how do you how, how does that how do you get set up? So you were, you, you were basically were an escort. Yeah, basically. How does that work? Who, like you knew someone so was had, just like, oh, I'm an escort too. Mm-hmm. You knew someone who was I an escort. I knew somebody and her client was in town and she was actually in Egypt with some other sugar daddy and was like, I have a friend in town. He just wants to meet up for drinks. He'll buy you some, some Coke, pay for drinks. Just go hang out with him for the night. And so that's how it started. It started really innocently. And in your head, were you like, oh, hang out? I just thought, I'll go, hang like, out. Well, no, and... I was really nervous. I thought, you know, this is sketchy. I know her and I know what she does. And I thought, well, this guy's going to want more. But to be honest, whenever anybody enticed me with cocaine, 
it was an automatic yes, I'm in. Like I've gotten a DUI from the hopes of getting a $30 gram of Coke, you know, puking outside my door because I took 10 hits of Molly and smashed into a couple of snowbanks just to get a couple of cheap grams of Coke. Like when it, when it grips you, it really grips you. Jesus. Yeah. And, and it didn't strike you like at all during this time that it was, that this was getting overboard. Like it really took somebody else to tell you that. It was really, the the people that I met up with were really manipulative. They were like, we care about you and we like you and, and we're, we're looking out for your best interests and, and it it got sketchy as it went on. So, you know, meeting up with them in the beginning, it was lovely. They were gentlemen. They took care of me. Um, I walked home with thousands of dollars of, in cash in my wallet plus grams of Coke. So I loved it. And, and then it took a couple months later, I ended up getting stranded in Toronto with $10 and no way home. I had no suitcase, I had no clothes because I had gone there to, to visit somebody. And uh, he ended up manipulating me into thinking that I wasn't good enough for it because he wanted to film me being gang banged by a bunch of guys. And I had said no. And, and so, okay, so I, I'm, did, did you, <laughs> like, when you got started with this thing from your, with your friend from Egypt, like, I guess you weren't set up with any sort of like agency no, or anything like No, oh that. my God. It was just helping out a friend. It was literally, so you had no, she no was one, technically like, my no pimp. One, right. Technically. Okay. Yeah. So like, that's the only kind of protection you had. Yeah, no. And when I got stuck there, I actually had to call her because I had nobody else to call. And she was in Egypt and she's like, or in some other country somewhere. And she's like, you know, I'm going to call him and I'll get him. I'll get it straightened out. Cause he called me and was like, you need to get out of the hotel room. And I came there with literally no money. I came there with $10 in my pocket. Like I didn't even bring an overnight bag. Did he fly you out there? He flew me and a friend out there. Another girl that, unfortunately, I got inv- I got her involved because she, this was the first negative friend that I had. I told her about what I was doing and she was jealous. She wanted in on the, on the scam. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so. But what are those conversations like? Like that, that first time that your, your friend who was in Egypt, like the first time that you found out about that or she brought it up to you, how did that go? She just called me up. It was very casually. Look, I have a friend that's in town. He's really rich. He'll take care of you for the night. Just wants to go and have some fun. And, and she, was she, or is she still like in, is it, was it Coke that was fueling her to, to yeah. get into that in the first place as well? She um, has her own world of issues for sure. But uh, I feel like for sure it was like the promise of drugs and it's, it, it sounds so weird, but you know, it felt good that somebody was willing to drop all this money on you. You know, it felt yeah. made me feel like I was <clears throat> special, which is absolutely. You look at it now insane. and you're like, oh god, oh my god. So, yeah, so how did I'm you get? Like, how did you get back from Toronto? I called her and he agreed to pay for my flight home, and he wouldn't even talk to me. And it's I actually had to change my number because he kept texting me months later, being like, oh, I'm in town. Let's meet up. Let's hang out. And. I didn't realize at that oh. point there's a super, to be honest, I think he owned a porn company and I think that he used to, I think he used to videotape it secretly and sell it mm-hmm. or put it online. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure. Cause he told me he was a consultant. Right, <laughs> like right. that's the most vague thing yeah. ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I yeah. just consult. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what's, what I'm most, what intrigues me the most about this story, which I know I know that this happens. I know that there's lots of girls that kind of that can fall into something like this and with and, promise of money and, guys. and drugs and guys. and guys. Yeah, and guys. And um 
I think what intrigues me most about this is the is the the drive and we kind of what you mentioned about you know hitting rock bottom and making a phone call and not getting that immediate help and going mm-hmm. well fuck it then and going well I'll just keep pursuing and all of the all of the one upping that you do to keep on feeding the habit and mm-hmm. and at the at like the center of addiction and whatever it may be cocaine uh whatever that sensation when you are completely dry and you need to to get it again so like how intense that is so okay uh, this was you know after i got out of meeting with people and i realized that i had an issue it was just after christmas and my cat died and I didn't get to say goodbye to her because I, was, I didn't want to touch her because I thought I had cocaine on my hands and I didn't want to make her sick. And it was a really bad time. My parents thought, you know, let's take the kids on a cruise. Let's go away on this wonderful week-long vacation. And I thought, you know what, this is a perfect chance for me to stop doing cocaine. I'll be, I'll be clean for a whole week and that'll be it. And to be honest, the cruise ship was one of the worst weeks of my family's life. I went completely AWOL, like just off the walls drinking. I drank uh, $1,500 worth of liquor in two days. Um, I never saw my you family. You literally ran the, the, the cruise dry. It was. <laughs> Everyone gets there like, oh yeah, all inclusive <laughs> cruise, and then like two days later, they're like, wait, this was a dry cruise. No one told us <laughs> it was a fucking belly's dry. Belly's all big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <just> vomit. <laughs> God. It, I actually even tried to commit suicide on the cruise ship. Oh my god. Because it was so. I tried to jump overboard, and like a security guard was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Ah, fuck you!" And fell asleep on the deck. And my dad woke me up and was <sighs> like, "Where were you?" And I'm like, oh, "I don't know. I don't know what's going on." It was probably. Probably one of the worst times in my life because I was going through such hard withdrawal and, and I didn't okay. even realize it. At this point, are your parents like, oh, they, something's up with Abby? No, no. They I just told were like, brother, Abby likes to party. So get this. I told my brother, I'm like, buddy, you know, I got this issue. I don't know what to do. I'm super fucked. And he's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. And so my parents knew something was up and my brother took the blame for it. He was like, you know, I feel really insecure because, you know, you're never around. And he took all the focus that was on me and he brought it to him. Like I, I couldn't ask for a better brother because he literally That's just tried to, wow. tried to shelter me from. Our, like, I, and I, I don't mean to be insensitive when I ask this, but like, how, like, how, like, do you think that it's possible at all that your parents were pretty aware, but they just chose to like ignore it? Like that seems fucking bananas to me. It does seem, but my parents literally have never, they've never done Coke. Um, they're not not like green people and they've never done anything, but I just, if you you don't don't do it, you don't think there was like any kind of denial happening? If you don't do it, you don't know it though. Like, you just don't know. And I, I actually uh, met with a counselor for a short period of time, and she's like, I really think you need to get your parents <laughs> on board, you know, get that support system. And I was like, no fucking way. I'm not telling them. So the whole reason I actually even reached out for help was not to stop doing cocaine. I wanted reached out for help so that I could control my habit. But I just, never wanted to stop. Just to, just wanted to control right. it. Just, just to play devil's advocate, like, I, I've never done coke before. I'm pretty sure I know when... When people are on coke, so I, I feel like, I feel like, I mean, we don't know your parents, and we mm-hmm. don't know what what they were doing or going through at that time too. But 
I feel like something like denial in a similar situation could be a very fair possibility. And uh, like I said, yeah. I don't know. But I, I, we, we I, don't know. It but. could be, but I felt like I was really good at hiding it. Even my best friends didn't know. I had right. to break the yeah, news to them that. and be like, "Look, I'm addicted to cocaine." They're like, "What? Who the fuck are you?" Like, and are you are you were you were you going to Toronto often, or were you outside of town? Because I mean, in that scenario, it's like, "Yo, I'm going." Yeah, I told them away. I was at work. Yeah, and my parents would call me. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just on a break at lunch," and you know, I'm actually walking down like Queen Street, Toronto. Like, right. you know, and that happened quite a bit. None of my friends knew if they'd call me and be like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm not in BC. I'm at work. Dude, mm. no fa- think And on the, on, to advocate your side, Abby, yeah. Abby's side. Yeah. Cause no one can see us. <laughs> duh. Dude, think about the shit that I can make up for my parents. Mm-hmm. My yeah. parents never knew where I was. Continue to this day, even though I work with them, I could leave the country for a week because they believe and they'd you. And they never know. They never you. know. That's true, yeah. Ever. Yeah. So, uh, and my mom yeah. always knew, even when I thought she didn't know. Right, right. <laughs> so, like, you know, and that's just because, yeah, right, they, they believe me or, like, you know, they're not concerned or whatever because, you know, they're just like, oh, yeah, whatever, Taylor's so out doing his thing. Even, <laughs> even that time that you got... That you got stuck in Toronto and you have to basically call your friend and get him or get her to force this guy to pay for your flight back. Like when you got home, that that wasn't a red flag to you? Oh, it definitely was. But and like I said, I always knew I had to stop, but I just couldn't. You just didn't want to. Yeah. I, no, it's not that I didn't want to. I wanted to really badly. Oh, yeah. I wanted to, to stop doing it as much as I did. I just couldn't, like I physically couldn't. It was mm. at like, I feel like my addiction is two parts, you know, first part was really raw. I can't survive without it. I need it to live. And then the second part was I can't cope. I, I feel bad. So I'm going to do blow, you know, yeah. it, it, my addiction really essentially changed from this raw, I need this to survive to, I'm, I need this to feel better about myself. Mm. At what point was that, was that change? Um, so I had after, you know, after I first reached out for help, it was funny that Sunday they called me and they said, we have a spot in a, in an inpatient program for you tomorrow. It was like four days later. I'm like, what? You told me six months. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we need to get you in now. And if you don't go now, you probably won't ever get in. Why the fuck does it take so long? Like, did you ever find out why uh, is six months like the standard to get into a program like I, that? I, it usually is. Um, I found going through a lot of different programs that the people that are in it have been through multiple times. I never met one person like me that actually reached out for help on their own. Everybody else was forced to go there. So I think that because they saw that as me, no one else is pushing me. I'm doing this for my my own. They they saw the need. They were like, she needs to get in now or shit. That that just speaks like volumes, volumes to to the to the fact that this is it's so important that things like these are are talked about because all of those other people that you met there were there because other people urged them to go there and and either one way or another they either spoke to their friends or spoke to their family or their family were aware and said something to them because what like your situation in this instance is is so rare so like talking about this and being open about it Super and approaching important. someone who who it may be very uncomfortable to like go up to a a friend of yours who you know is dealing with something like this but how else are they going to get help right like that's so mm-hmm. important 
That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So the the first time, you know, I'd gone through an inpatient and an outpatient program and I never really found a counselor that I really connected with. So once I had done the outpatient, pro- done the inpatient program, it was like six months of, of solid programming. Um, that was it. You know, my parents were like, well, you're done. You're, you're cured. So, you know, I went on with my life. I got a job on a cruise ship. Um, Uh-oh. I, yeah, I, Again? Con- I continued to meet people that did cocaine, um, people that would smuggle it on board. Yeah, I feel like, like cruise ships are like the most like I never thought it would party happen. places, you know? Oh, it was. Yeah. It, and people would there's buy no, it and you no have rules to do it right away. Scene. You have to do it right away because you, sh- you got searched all the time, yeah. right? So nobody ever wanted to hold on to it. But anyways, you know, my life was going fairly well. I was able to manage it. I did it once in a blue moon. Um, I started dating a guy pretty regularly. We moved in together. Um, I became super, you know, happy with my life. And, you know, every once in a while I would go out and buy some behind his back and he never really knew. So I, you know, I felt like things were under control and then we broke up and then my life went to shit again. And it wasn't because I needed cocaine. It was because I needed it to feel better. How long was this between, um, you know, like going to the unofficial escort service days to this point where you like you kind of got clean and then you got broke up with? It was about four years. Oh, so like a it fucking chunk of time. It was quite a while. Yeah. yeah. Like I thought I had beaten it. You know, I'm good. Wow. I, don't, I don't have an addiction anymore. Yeah. And then I didn't have somebody in my life that I needed to res- be responsible for. And I... Didn't know how to cope with the feeling of yeah. being left. And that goes back to the coping mechanism it that you talked about. Definitely goes back 13. to the coping mechanisms. And then it was like, you know, then I started to notice, you know, my bills started getting less paid. I would take money off my credit card to go buy Coke. And it's not like I had to do it every day, but I had to do it in order to feel good about myself. Like every weekend, I would say, is was the second half of, of my addiction. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. It's so fascinating. Like I, I think in every, <clears throat> I went through a phase where I was really into reading biographies, and it seems like whenever I read a biography about someone like uh, you know Anthony Anthony Kiedis or any like a lot of a lot of musicians, yeah. um, especially it seems to stick out that it's like you go clean for a little bit, and it always fascinated me about being. And I know you said you're doing it every once in a while, but basically you felt like you had it under control, yeah. and and then. After a period of time, like what was you said it was three, four years, mm-hmm. which seems like an astronomical amount of time to me. I mean, you know, in my life, that's almost a quarter of my life. That's almost a fifth <laughs> of my life. Uh, that that you can, like that door can open up and you can just walk right back inside. So I've always thought of it as like a, sl- they, and I've, they, in programs, I've talked about the sleeping dragon. Um, and it's, it's about how your addiction never truly goes away, but when you feed it, that monster grows bigger inside of you. And then it is like a monster. It's like something that consumes your soul almost Mm -hmm. like, and we, we asked, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of this question that I I think Taylor's asked a couple of times, but it, in, in past episodes, but, uh, just talking about it, like just talking about how good it was, does that give you any 
desire yeah. to want to do it again? Um, sometimes, not going to lie, sometimes. But I think more so it's the bad times that stand out in my mind and how I don't want to go back to that. Like I hate, I, you know, after I got clean and I started doing again, I felt so much guilt every time I did it. I couldn't believe that I'd gone back to doing this. And usually you wake up feeling like pretty stupid. Like, why did I do that? And it usually leads into other stupid decisions like getting a DUI or breaking into somebody's house and getting caught for it because you think the Coke's inside, you know, it's just really really morally made me feel like a piece of junk. Yeah. I feel like we, we kind of like, we really just kind of like, like race through like what, <laughs> like what are, what is the, like, what is the black, like what is rock bottom? Like what is the blackest, what's the darkest moments that you had, you know, aside from going to Toronto, like I'm, I'm assuming there's, there's more than just like flying to Toronto that was pretty and, bad. and showing up and then, and then being stranded. Like, but I didn't even feel that bad about it. I felt, you know, like, well, fuck him, you know, um, yeah. He doesn't know and, you know, just stupid cliches, right? I didn't even feel that bad. But there was a time not that long ago where I brought my friend who was visiting and we, I brought her over to this guy's house who said that he would do a bunch of coke with us. And it turns out he thought I was there for a threesome with him and his girlfriend and I brought this other girl. So he assumed he was going to have a foursome and that didn't happen. And so I was like, all right, well, we're going to go now because this is getting awkward and he got really angry, really angry and started smashing, smashing glasses, throwing stuff at me. He's screaming like blue mad. And this is a guy that's been up for probably at least a week straight. He doesn't have a regular job. He's a he's a painter and uh, he paints paintings and, and plays piano and does coke. But anyways, I'm sorry. I'm not here to judge him. Um, I'm judging me. Uh, anyways, he just got super angry and it was terrifying. I thought he was going to kill me and my friend. And I had to look to her and be like, you need to go and get outside right now. And, and he's yelling and yelling and yelling and spits flying in my face. And I'm like, uh, Karen, you need to go. Like, you need to get out of here right now. And she's like, why, why? I'm like, because nobody knows we're here. At least Ooh. you know I'm here. So you need to go. Oh, fuck. At least somebody will know that <clears throat> I'm here because nobody knew. And I was terrified. I thought for sure that night I was I was going to die and that I was going to kill my friend in the process. Fuck. Jesus yeah, Christ. it was, that was a really really deep time and it was funny because afterwards I played it off as if it wasn't a big deal. It's like, well, we got out, it's fine, you know, I gave him some money, it was good and and my friends were like, Abby, this is a okay, big deal. Like, this is something really serious and and the more I thought about it, the more I realized how terrified I was about it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like <clears throat> I mean, you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, after one of those in hindsight now looking back and going like, whoa, that was fucked. At the time, you're like, oh, whatever. It's no big deal. It's over now. You try to whatever. rationalize it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And because, I mean, obviously there's a whole bunch of stuff wrapped up in, you know, you know how you got yourself there, what's happening when you get there, what happens afterwards and going... It's much, yeah, it's much easier to, to rationalize that and say that that was no big deal. And it wasn't because I was looking for to feed the addiction or whatever. 
And then, you know, you step back, you take a step back and you'll realize, okay, well, this is actually why I was there, why this happened. Um, it's kind of funny because like, I, I think that if I was in that situation with you at the time and afterwards you were being like positive about it, I'd be like, oh, Abby's such a great person. She's so positive. <laughs> she's seeing the, she's seen the real positive the side lining, of this situation, silver lining. even though you pretty much just almost died. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a, th- a thing that you had wrote in the application as well that that really stuck out to me, which was the you had mentioned how you were mixed up with a guy that you thought you were in love with, and um, and you were who I'm, I'm assuming was a drug dealer, uh, probably, and, and you were <laughs> pregnant at the time. Yeah, what's that? What like? That was terrifying. Yeah, where does that line up? That was terrifying, but I was really, that was when I was really into the drugs, and I was sleeping with two people at the same time. One of them was a drug dealer, and and so when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, there's no fucking way I could could have this. No way I could have a baby and, and not know who the dad is. Like, that's... That's the biggest sluttiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Jerry Springer, like, in, yeah, right I need here. Maury. Like, <laughs> yeah, Maury. Yeah, yeah. You are not the father. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I love Maury, by the way. <laughs> I don't know uh, if that's a reason why. You would, you, you would have been the perfect guest. <laughs> oh fuck, Maybe that's why. Maybe. I had a shot at being on that show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that was really shitty, but it wasn't that bad because I thought that if I did enough drugs, I could kill the baby on my own and I wouldn't need to have an abortion. Wow. I'm assuming that's not the case. That wasn't the case. It was the case. Actually, I did end up miscarriaging. I don't know why nobody said, oh, it was all the drugs you did, but it it worked. I was ready for friends to punch me in the stomach, to throw myself down the stairs, do every kind of cliche that you've ever read about in a book. Why didn't you just go get an abortion? I did. I was scheduled to. And they said, okay, so you need to wait four months. Like, what do you mean? Four months. Four you can months. only do it in the first trimester, yeah, so, which is they, three months. They want to make sure that the baby, <laughs> so in the, in the States, they wait until six months. They what? want They want the baby to be big enough to make, so it's essentially a vacuum cleaner that they shove inside you and they try to suck it out. And if they don't get it all... It could still grow inside of you. That's what? what I got from my. No, you were so fucking high, no. Abby. There's no way you were so fucked up. That's what I got that from it. They're like, no you need to way. wait three months until it's fully developed because we need to make sure we get it. And so I pictured a vacuum cleaner. That and they need just to get sounds it. Like, crazy. But I thought you could only have an abortion in the first trimester. Dude, I don't know anything about <clears> abortions. <throat> I, neither, do, neither do I. But I know someone who had an abortion and it was definitely, they didn't have to wait that long at all. They okay. literally got it. Like as soon as they found out, well, they were I pregnant. just didn't want to wait that long. I was like, "That's yeah. not happening. I'm, I'm not." People yeah. will notice, and they'll be able to tell. Did and- you go on overdrive then, or? Yeah, yeah, I did as much drugs as possible, and I just partied my ass off, tried to get as little sleep, no water, (laughs) just tried to starve my body, basically. How hardcore was the miscarriage? It wasn't that bad, to be honest. It was only about, I. so I found out I was pregnant about two months in, and they were like, well, you need to wait another two months, and I was like, well, fuck this. I went back in for my second ultrasound, and then they were like, oh, I don't hear a heartbeat. I was just like, yes. Oh, so there wasn't any kind of like, uh, like there really was painful. A little bit, but to be honest, I was really just high. High, I was of course, super yeah. high all the, time. high all the time. Do you like Jesus. how? And you're just you're just talking about this like so matter of factly. I know. And and like, is there was there like this any emotional breakdowns that you had in this time where you're just like, what the fuck? Like I'm or, pregnant or, and trying to kill. 
the baby by like, or are you just so high that that's just not, I don't have a lot of coping skills, right? At this time I had no coping skills. And, and to be honest, my circles back, my defense mechanism is laughter. So I laugh about everything and I do talk very matter of factly about situations to the point where my family and friends have become very uncomfortable. They're like, you're talking way too casual about this. Like the stories you're telling us, you should be crying. And I, I, I'm not like that. I, I tend to laugh when things get uncomfortable. I'll laugh at funerals. Like I'm just, I'm a, it's what I do when I get uncomfortable. So uh, I, I know what you mean in, in a way, because like sometimes, um, when, things like that that make me feel really uncomfortable happen. And especially I identify with the death thing. Um, because I was, when I was told that my, one of my really good friends in high school died, I laughed and I, I always kind of say that I laughed because I thought it was a joke and I didn't believe it, but I laughed because I didn't know how else to cope on the inside. And, and laughing was just a way of like, making some type of sound, I guess, and making my emotions audible. Like a reaction. Yeah, it was a reaction. It wasn't, it by, it by no means was a representation of how I felt inside, Mm -hmm. but it was just a way that I could, I don't know, express it it outside, I guess. And yeah, it's, I, I've never heard anybody else say that. And that makes so much sense to me, Mm -hmm. but it's it like, how do you feel? How do you feel about (laughs) How do you feel about knowing that you express things that way? Does it does it make does it make it any e- easier to deal with? Um, it makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes. Like I'm a bad person. Like I don't. To be honest, I've never told really anybody my story like this. You know, I've told a couple of close friends. I just told my boyfriend before this, like because I had to tell him because I'm like I'm going on podcast and oh fuck he didn't you, know he knew a little bit right. he knew that I had been in rehab and then I had gone through programs but he didn't know about like escorting or right. pregnancy or anything like this what did he say he was super supportive like to be honest I he's the greatest like sure, yeah, yeah, yeah he's just he's the best do you feel like it's do you feel like your friends and and family understand you better though when they know these things yeah, I feel I feel more connected with people when I can share this story, for sure. I feel like in order to know who I am, you have to kind of know who, who I was in the past, right? And I feel I've really learned that going through addiction that you really need to be accountable and take responsibility for your actions. And by telling the people that you love, I think that's one step to getting closer to feeling like this is very therapeutic for me. Mm. It seems pretty weird. I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm making jokes about it and stating things matter of factly, but I've never talked to any strangers mm-hmm. about yeah. this. It's well, vulnerability is, is like, is the foundation of building trust. So when you're able to open up to people and, 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 ex- and show them that you're vulnerable, then they're able to, to trust you more. And when you have trust and you have, communication right and people are able to like you i don't know you just get one another better when you're able to to express yourself that yeah you feel closer to people when you can find out like a secret or something that they right. would normally yeah. tell people right Bri, were you watching dr phil today <laughs> no i worked for a corporate training company in, in the middle east and uh, <laughs> that, that, is that line that vulnerability is the is the Foundation like, of foundation trust. Of trust. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, is that I, a Dr. Phil one? I That's use a great that, inspirational quote. I use that it's it's in, written on his wall. I use that yeah. in sales meetings. In cursive. All the time. <laughs> Selling corporate training. Um, so I, where, where did you get this? Like, where, like you know, to, be, to, to, to go from, uh, you know, being, being 
rich businessmen's dates for for five thousand dollars a night and being you know supplied with coke and having a miscarriage and and due to like crazy drugs and and going on a cruise ship with your family and like getting absolutely annihilated you know those those points of rock bottom like low 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 lows how do you how did you climb like how did you get up out of that it was mary it was my it was this one counselor to be honest that I I love her in my heart. She is she's so dear to me, and I don't even, I'm not even friends with her. She's just a person that gets paid to talk to people. She was just so I don't know. It was the connection that we had with each other, and I felt like she actually cared about me. So when things would happen, like I when I got my DUI, you know, she didn't yell. She wasn't disappointed. She gave me a hug, and it sounds so corny, but I just really felt like she cared. Mm. And so because I felt like she cared, I listened to what she had to say. And we she used a lot of diagrams every time we talked. And therefore, I was able to see it on paper. I'm like, oh, well, that, that seems stupid. Like, why do I do that? And all right, so it's because of this. And I, I have all these papers still. Um, what were the things that she was saying? What, like, what did she tell you she, that opened your eyes? Um, we talked about, and it, you know what? It's not even anything that she tells me. I feel like the good counselors get you to tell yourself. They mm. ask the right questions mm-hmm. to get you to actually think <laughs> inwardly about it. And so because of that, I was able to look at the relationships that I had and the friends that I was hanging around with. And why do I feel like I need to do coke? Well, to be honest, a lot of it comes down to self-esteem and and me wanting to be liked by people. And because of that, I never felt like I could truly ever be myself. I always had to drink. I always had to do a line or smoke a joint. I always had to do something to get people to like me because I never liked myself. And I only realized that working with her, we were together, like meeting on a really regular basis for about six months. And I, I don't accredit my sobriety or my, my success to her, but she was a huge piece in it though. Like she was just, if you guys met her, you'd love her. She was just a lovely person. I just, I can't speak highly enough about her. I I really connected with something you said earlier, which was that in order for, we were talking about your boyfriend and like in order for somebody to, to know who you are, they have to know who you were and what, and what you've been through. Um, I really do think, and like, and, and I, the way that I want to come around to this idea is that I've known you for, I met you probably like what? A couple of years ago. Yeah. Like yeah. I definitely didn't when you walked in to the room, go, hey, she looks like she's done a bunch of coke and was an escort and had a baby. <laughs> and the, like, I, like, those weren't the thoughts that popped in my head, right? I'm I mean, glad. You're, I'm a glad. Very, like, you're, you're a very sweet girl. I've never thought anything other than that about you. Um, you know, albeit our, like, you know, kind of brief interactions. And, mm-hmm. um, but we are, we are all like a collection of the things that we've done. And the things that we've been through. And I think a common thread that has kind of come through this podcast with every guest that we've ever had is that, you know, uh, Brandon is in his cancer. Uh, you know, uh, uh, lose my train of thought. Did you forget all of our guests? Really? <clears throat> I'm just having a mind blank. <laughs> There's a Bra- lot of them. So, Brandon yeah. is in his cancer. Uh, uh, Nadine is in her Nadine, bipolar. Right. Like, no one is there. Brandy is in her transgender. Or, wait. <laughs> it, is she? Is she? <laughs> that one's confusing. You're not your addiction, mm-hmm. but it plays a role in who you are and how you move forward. And I feel like when people get through, especially people 
um, who get through something and kind of come out on the other side and look back on it, it provides a lot of wisdom, whether that is making mistakes and, and, and getting into an addiction or going through a disease or an illness. Um, and kind of what I feel like radiate off of you is the wisdom of that experience and looking back and not denying the past and the shit that you've gone through and that you did, but embracing it and like using it as a tool to go forward and be like the best person that you can be. Because like I said, I've never seen you as anything other than like a very sweet girl and, and talking with you here and hearing you talk about that and how you look back on those experiences. Like, I feel like there's a lot of power in those experiences to make you like the best that you can be. Definitely. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and, and at those times you may not have had a coping mechanism. You may have resorted to, well, you may have resorted to the cocaine and the drugs as, as a coping mechanism, but now you have this skill to talk about it. And you said at the start that, or in the middle of this, that, that this is therapeutic to you Mm -hmm. and talking with Mary is therapeutic for you. So, talking about these things and and being wise and introspective and self-reflective like those are those are your new coping mechanisms yeah. right because you get stuck in your head too right and we're all our own worst critics and and to be honest I was my worst cheerleader ever I talked myself down to no end in my head and then actually talking about it it helps you realize things and then you're like oh shit I am I kind of am a good person yeah. You know, it, and I think you're right. It, it does come down to talking about it for sure. Totally. With, with the greatest mistakes comes the greatest wisdom. It's written on my wall in cursive writing. <laughs> Above your bed. Yeah. Uh, so I just made that up. Swing and a miss. Swing oh, you made that up? Yeah. That was impressive. That was good. Uh, yeah, it was good. Was that well, impressive? Should, yeah, sure. You should write that on your wall. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's there now. Um, so how are you doing now? Like, what is, what is Abby today? Oh my God. I love my life. To be honest, I never, I never imagined my life would be so great now. I have an amazing job where I wake up every day and I'm excited to go to work. I help people and I see, I see the results in their eyes. I can see their confidence lift up. Like I, I basically, I, I feel like, um, almost like a fairy godmother at work. Mm. And I don't even do that much. This is accrediting me for way more than what I do, but just helping people and like my friends that I have in my life. I live in a really great apartment. I have an amazing boyfriend. My family is, is amazing. Like I, I I never thought I would get to this spot, to be honest. I always thought there would be something that I was going to have to, to dredge through or I'd have to, to survive. Um, and I, I can't, I love life. How long have you been clean? When was, the, when was the last time you used, um, cause I mean, so you texted me earlier today. You're like, Hey, is it weird if I bring wine? And I'm like, uh, no, not unless it sends you into a really deep, dark spiral of addiction that you can't get back out of. Like what the fuck? No, yeah, there's cocaine in this uh, wine. Yeah. <laughs> That's is it weird if so I bring good. an eight ball? Uh, but, uh, you know, you were, you're able to sit here and drink mm-hmm. a glass of wine with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for the wine. It's very delicious. Um, but, but when was the last time you, you know, you dabbled in, in the, it wasn't in that the dark long side. ago, to no, be honest. Yeah. yeah, I definitely had a slip on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I still hang out with a friend that got me involved into meeting up with people. And I just, I like her and I, I'm having a really hard time cutting that tie. And, because and is of she that, still an escort? Is, no, is that, she, okay. has a, she has a good job, but she's a train wreck part time. Right. She's sure. able to, to live a normal life. And then every once in a while she falls off the rails and it, 
it's like if somebody brings it up, sometimes I just can't get it out of my head. It's all I think about. Mm-hmm. It's it's all consuming sometimes. Um, so on my birthday, I thought I would indulge. But before that, it was January. And before that, it was September. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my stints are getting further and further in between. And every time I do it, I learn something new. Okay, so I shouldn't hang out with this person. Or I know I shouldn't drink Sailor Jerry's because I'm... Yeah. Nobody should ever <laughs> No one Sailor should Jerry. drink Sailor well, Jerry's. No, no. Sailor Jerry's turns for sure Taylor and I into different oh, people. Yeah. Uh, Absolute got, animals. I got finger tattoos at a party once because I drank a bunch of Sailor Jerry's. Yeah, that sounds about right. You're like, do it like the thing on the bottle. I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Um, do you think that... Um, you know, and I, I want to challenge you here, but I think, do you think that it would be worth your while to, to step away from that friendship? I do. I, I no, I know what you're saying is, is the smart thing, smart way to look at it. Um, it, it's such a hard thing for me to talk about and to tell people because we're such good friends and I love her when we're not doing anything. And then there's always that one time every couple of months where we get into trouble and, you know, we end up blowing like $500 on Coke. And it's like, if you, it's like if you were best friends with like, if and like, and this would actually make a lot of sense because if you just look at Taylor, it would make sense when I say this, but if Taylor was a werewolf, we, I would love hanging out with Taylor all the time, Mm -hmm. except for when for he's a werewolf, for that one like full night moon. of the yeah of the month, what is it? Once a month, the full moon, uh, ish. It, it, ish. It would be you know it would fucking suck for myself, right? It'd probably be pretty pretty fun at the time to hang out with a werewolf, but it wouldn't be good in the long run. And so you know, I feel guilty even like a great saying way to this. Put that, like I wish I could have come on the show and be like, I've never, d- I haven't done it in ten years, years, and you know, I'm clean and I'm yeah. great. And, yeah, but what? But I mean, you're working. Successful. You're I feel, working at it. You, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a process, right? It's a process. It's definitely it's, a process. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. And I don't think there's many people who have suffered I know, addiction I know, where it is overnight, right? I, I know that no. most likely, and I'm not like saying this to toot our horns or anything, but I guarantee you that. Coming in here and telling this story to three guys that you pretty much don't know very well at all outside of, you know, brief acquaintances is going to help you as you go forward and managing this and dealing with this. I think opening up and talking about it and knowing that this is also a story that is going to go out and that people will hear and people will find strength in, I think that will... I think that will strengthen your resolve to to keep it to keep on the on the right track. Mm-hmm. I think so too. But I also want to add. Uh, I, I do want to quickly go back to your friend because I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily our place to tell you to to and not that we are, but to say to not hang out with her. But I think that at the very least, I think that you should. And I don't know if you have, but I think that you should tell her what you've told us. Like, I thought you were, were going to say, tell her to come on the show. <laughs> tell her what you told me. But, I, 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 but like, 
<laughs> Tell her to be a guest on Sick Boy. And we'll, we'll straighten hey, your her out. your friend was on the show and she told us all about your life. <laughs> Why don't you get but, your part in? But have you, have you told her how, how you feel when you're not? I have. I have tr- broached the subject with her. You know, I think I have a problem and I, I'm, I'm struggling hanging out with you because I feel like I have to do it. And I've gotten a lot of backlash from it. You know, it, this is your problem. But in that case, if you have and she said that and she's being a cancer in, in your life in that sense, uh, then definitely stop fucking hanging out with her. I know. Yeah, but yeah, that's the thing. Is, like you said, like it's not our place to tell you. It's like when someone says just stop doing coke. Just stop doing it. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not, it's easier you know, said than done. We've been friends now for eight years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, I guess it, we've been more so drug friends than we have been real, real friends. Cause if she was a real friend, she would understand my, my, my struggles through this and would want to help me. But I find when people are really in the, in the depths of addiction and when people are in a really bad spot, they want company. They want somebody to be right there with them. They don't want to feel like they're going through this alone or that they're the only person who wants to do coke. Mm-hmm. She wants me there with her because I probably make her feel better about it. Somehow, some way, mm-hmm. I make her feel like she's not alone in this. It's and funny. It's, and I think that, that is, that's probably very true. And it's the the other thing that's funny is that you were saying earlier the thing that you really liked about Mary was the fact that she didn't tell you what to do and that she got that out of you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we're sitting here, or I'm sitting here five minutes later going, <laughs> don't fucking hang out with her. Don't you fucking hang out with her. That's why you're I'll not a psychologist, Brian. <laughs> exactly. Uh, also, <clears throat> definitely not doctors or... <laughs> That's why none of our none of us are psychologists. You mean, not, I, but, you mean but you're I, not doctors? I, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> but I think to, to bring it back to what Taylor was saying was that, you know, uh, there's going to be people who listen to this that end up writing to us. To say, um, you know, this is how this episode helped me. We get it with every single episode. And to be honest, that's like one of the main reasons why I've come on to, to share my story is because I just I can I just know what it feels like to feel so alone. And I know yeah. what it feels like to feel like a helpless, worthless piece of shit who nobody is ever going to care. And, you know, no one it doesn't matter what happens to you after this. And I just if I could even just help one person it sounds so cliche and stupid, but if I could just help one person to, to reach out for help and to just ask, you know, it's a process. You have to be patient. You have to be really kind to yourself. You know, when you, when you're going through any sort of disease or illness, you have to be patient and you have to be, you know, cool with yourself. And, and that's the hard, one of the hardest parts about this, I think. I have to say that I think, uh, Abby, you are, you, you know, you, even though you are still, sort of in your journey and and mm-hmm. still trying to figure it out i think you're you're a pretty goddamn impressive um success story Thank you know you. and i think that uh i have no doubts in my mind that you know you're on you're on a, a good track and i i'm rooting for you and i think that you're you're going to come out totally clean at some point whether that be you know tomorrow yeah. or next year um and yeah, I think that, uh, I think that just by having you on here, not only are you helping others, but you're also probably helping yourself. So good for you for, uh, Thank you. for taking the time to do that. Yeah. Thanks. I know it's hard to, 
Like you said in your write-up, it's hard to press that submit button. Oh, my God. I was sitting on my work break, and I'm like, do I do it? Do I not? Do I do it? Oh, my God, just do it. Just just press it. Who cares, yeah. you know? And that was so long ago, too, it that I did it. I thought, you know, they, they don't care. This is a stupid story. Who, who wants to hear about me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're not alone in the hardship of sending in an application, and you're not alone in thinking that your story isn't worthy or yeah because trust me anybody who has sent in an application we have hundreds of them and we read every (laughs) single one of them i just want to say that and be very clear every single one of those are read and uh and just give us some time we're 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 getting through them so if um, you're from the states then just hold on tight yeah just (laughs) sit, sit real tight uh we we are running out of time um, I wanted to, I, I mean, I feel like you just kind of did it, but it, just in case there's anything else that you wanted to say for anyone who is at home listening to this, who might be going through what you went through or what you're currently going through. I would say just don't wait. Don't wait to ask for help. Cause you know, I started off, you know, asking for help because I didn't want to stop doing cocaine. I just wanted to manage it. Yeah. And, you know, that was the first step of a really long process. And it is a long process. And it's going to take time to to find your Mary. You know, it's going to take time for you to find somebody that you're comfortable to opening up with. And I, I just, I can't stress enough, don't wait. Even if you don't want to call the mental health addiction intake line, talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to your best friend, talk to somebody who you know will actually care about you. And that'll really, really open a lot of doors for you internally to, to be able to, to process what it is that you're going through. Because a lot of times we, you know, we think a lot, and I've learned too, a lot of addicts think in black and white. Well, you know, I'm an addict. I'm an addict for life. This is it. And it's not black and white. There's so many shades of gray that... That, that are possible for you. Probably 50, 50. of them. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. We were right. Great minds. Yep. We're right there Great together minds. there, buddy. Best friends. <laughs> 50 shades. Um, well, thank you so much, Abby. Uh, thank it, you. It, uh, we're, we're, we're really glad to have you in here today, and we're, we're glad that you, you took the time to do it. Uh, thank you all so much for listening today. Head on over to iTunes if you liked what you heard, and uh, just hit that subscribe, rate, and review. Oh, um, yeah. Because we, we need that. Uh, it helps us stay on the charts, the iTunes charts. And, uh, hey, we're on Patreon. We would love your support. Uh, we do this for, um, you know, we don't really do this for, we're not making any money. We're not sponsors. So <laughs> There you go. So support us. Uh, www.patreon.com slash sickboy. And uh, we're also on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that shit. Um, I'm a very sweaty, warm, and moist Brian. Oh, man, yeah. I'm Taylor. I'm... Also those things. And I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.